I'm walking all alone down my yellow brick road and I stomp to the beat of my own drum. Got my pockets full of dreams and they're busting at the seams Going boom, boom, boom to my own song Welcome to Stacked Keys Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Stackhouse. This is a podcast to feature women who are impressive in the work world or in raising a family or who have hobbies that make us all feel encouraged. Want to hear what makes these women passionate to get up in the morning? Or what maybe they wish they'd known a little bit earlier in their lives? Grab your keys and stomp to your own drum. All I gotta do is count one, two, three to my own drum. Whatever you do, it ain't nothing on me because I'm doing my thing and I hold the key to all my wants. Today, I have a guest with me. We're going to dive straight in and get going. But I want to welcome Colleen Wendling. So welcome. Thank you so much. I appreciate uh, you allowing me to be on this podcast. I feel so honored to be a part of the great women that you have had on your podcast so far. Well, thank you. It is such a thrill to me to talk to women who are doing all kinds of different things within their careers, families, in their environments, and just kind of, it's exciting to see the differences, but yet the similarities that we we have. So Colleen, if somebody were to ask you who you are professionally or personally, what would your answer be? Um, I guess my, uh, my answer would be, I guess, unique to either situation, but I guess also the same. Um, I'm very much a go-getter in everything I do, uh, which is uh, something I pride myself in. Um, I typically like to take charge. I like to take care of people. Um, I like to explain things to people um, in ways that they may not understand. Um, so I, I work in the pharmaceutical industry. I am a pharmacist. So uh, my job is to uh, talk to people about medications and explain it to them in a way that they might uh, understand so they can take their medication better. Um, in the same sense at home, uh, I take care of my uh, parents. My mom recently uh, had a heart attack and my dad is currently on hospice. Um, and actually this past month, he's uh, been in the hospital for sepsis meningitis. Uh, for the past uh, maybe two and a half weeks. My sister-in-law, she uh, doesn't speak a lot of English and I have two nieces. I currently live with all of them uh, just because my brother passed away in 2018. So um, in that sense, uh, I kind of have uh, a front in which I have to kind of um, uh, explain not only the uh, medical as- as- aspect to patients when I'm at work, but then the same thing at home uh, to my family, I have to translate things and um, explain things in ways that they can understand so that way they can uh, go about their daily lives as well. Wow, that is a full, full plate. Um, talk to me about how you go through your day and then come home at night. And how do you find balance and, and, 
and just um, what a lot you've had. I'm kind of having to absorb in what, what you've had, but um, a lot of, to be so young, you're facing so many big adult things. So how do you put that foot, one foot in front of the other? Exactly like you said it, one foot in front of the other. Um, some days are easier because uh, I can I can rest in satisfaction, you know, thinking of my brother looking down on me and being proud because he was always very proud of me. Um, and there wasn't a day that went by that he didn't say that. So I was very lucky to have him as, as a brother. But uh, it literally is a day-by-day process. Sometimes it's harder than others. And sometimes, you know, there's situations that just make you laugh and uh, and kind of just uh, give you a little bit of stress relief. But um, mainly I have to find time in between for myself. And that's kind of a big part. And um, kind of how I met Becca and how I ended up becoming on this podcast broadcast is Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is one of those outlets in my life that allows me to get stress relief, find community, um, and and find a sense of purpose outside of, you know, helping everyone else. It's a way to help myself, not only mentally and physically, but also, like, prospectively. Um, The body is basically, uh, you know, we all have the same physics when it comes to our body. And so despite being small in comparison to some other maybe bigger players, um, you still can do the same moves and have the same outcome as long as you do the technique correctly. Um, And so uh, learning technique, learning uh, the ability to like not only um, absorb the information, but then also uh, have fun with it is just something that I find uh, very comforting. I've always been an avid learner. I mean, ever since I was a kid, I was uh, I was homeschooled and uh, we kind of didn't get to grow up with a lot of friends. And my dad would take us to a lot of like conferences and things where we had to sit there, we had to learn, we had to find out what, um, you know, whatever the seminar was about. And as kids, you know, you don't want to sit there and listen to seminars, but I found myself as I grew up finding that those seminars ended up helping me later on in life. Uh, I got to listen to some of the greats like Zig Ziglar, make me rest in peace. Um, I got to go to a lot of conferences on like self-help and, um, and how to deal with finances and how to deal with like, you know, just emotional issues. Uh, Robert Kiyosaki is another one of the big, big names. So we actually got to go sit and listen to And um, One of my favorite books uh, are by, um, Dale Carnegie and, uh, and how his perspective on life, uh, kind of influences how you are with people, but then how you are with yourself too. And I think all of those things collectively have kind of been able to help me get through situations, um, in life. So, so it sounds like your foundation almost led you to be able to handle your current situations. Yes, and I think that's very beautifully said because uh, I think if it wasn't for my foundation, um, all the things of looking back as, uh, I guess, as a child that I was a little bit more apprehensive about going to um, and not really wanting to learn, not wanting to, uh, um, you know, as a kid, you want to go and play, you want to go do anything other than sit down and listen. But I think 
that foundation really did end up impacting the way I see myself, my future, and what I'm currently going through. I think if I didn't have that foundation, everything I'm going through would be a lot harder. Um, And I think if I didn't have the perspective of that everything happens for a reason, and it's up to you whether you learn from it or not, um, then I think like even just you know, the whole fact of any sort of tragedy that has occurred in my life up to this point um, would have been so much more difficult to deal with. So so what does ground do? Um, what does ground me? Mm-hmm. I think, like, in general, it's, uh, I mean, my relationship with God is a big thing that grounds me. I mean, faith, having faith in all sorts of, uh, I guess, just in general, faith that, you know, everything, like I said, happens for a reason, that no, um, there's nothing in life that's going to happen um, that isn't for my benefit in some way, even if I can't see it. Um, I think the fact that, uh, I guess, my family, just uh, the way that I was raised, like I said, I was homeschooled, but my mom comes from a very uh, prominent family in um, Nepal, which is where my name comes from. And uh, she actually is uh, someone who I think also grounds me just uh, in the fact that she's such a strong woman, even when it seems like, I guess other people may not think so. Um, And when I say that, it's because she grew up in Nepal. She was part of the royalty caste. She left all of that to come to America because she was in love with my dad, uh, who's American. And she gave up a life of royalty to um, make it here on her own. Um, My parents, they own a jewelry store that's been around as long as I can remember here in Texas. Um, And she's worked so hard to get to where she is. Um, In fact, seeing her, someone who didn't have to work as hard as she did, put in all that time and effort um, to become like a strong woman Um, not only in her community, but also in my life, I think that grounds me and it kind of humbles me in a a sense that like, you know, given the chance of, of, you know, luxuries, she gave it all up for love. And I think that the fact of just the love that I received from my family and the love that I receive in general from my community, um, from even my jujitsu community, uh, that grounds me, that keeps me um, in a happy place. Um, I think this past month has been very difficult for me, which was almost one of the reasons that I was like a little hesitant about coming on the podcast because I don't like crying. I don't like crying in front of people. And obviously nobody wants to come on a podcast and cry. Right. But, yeah. um, this, this month has been really hard for me because, uh, it literally, I work nights. I work seven nights on seven nights off. And my dad being in the ICU, basically it was me going from work to the ICU um, just to make sure that um, he was given the correct treatment. Um, There was a couple of times in the ICU that unfortunately they weren't following the right protocol or they weren't choosing the right medication based on the bug Um, to no fault of their own, of course, like. I mean, they're short-staffed. It's, you know, COVID. It's like, there's so much going on. I mean, I can't really put all the blame on 
any one particular person, right? But yeah. it made me so sad for the fact that, like, me being my dad's room, he got the help that he needed. But, you know, there was people down in the rooms next to him that maybe didn't get the same care. Um, yeah. And so uh, I think it's it's just uh, one of those things where uh, even though life has been difficult and been throwing things my way it's it's looking at people like my mom looking at at people who have been come before me um I have a lot of people that I admire and I look up to uh like Lindsay McCraigan um and uh and just so many influential women in my life who who've encouraged me who have um lifted me up and then like, like I said, a strong foundation and, and, and belief system that everything happens for a reason that I'm not, I'm not going through all this tragedy for nothing. Um, maybe it's to come on this podcast and share that, you know, like you can go through so much and still come out strong. You can go through so much and come to a breaking point and still not break. And uh, I think that's a, a very important thing for people to know. Well, and I appreciate your vulnerability because I think a lot of times we sweep stuff aside and we're like, no, I'm strong. I can handle this. Or we don't have the emotions that we play with it. And you're coming in a little bit on the advantage side into a hospital situation because of all that knowledge that you have of how medicine works and how this works and and protocols and such. So as you were going through pharmacy school, which is so intense, where did you think you were going to wind up? Did you, did it ever cross your mind? Hey, personally, I'm going to need to know this. Um, that's so, so funny. I don't know. Did you talk to Becca before this? Or? No, no. We tried really hard not to do that. So yeah. that I'm not kept, that I'm learning the same time that uh that the audience is hearing so yeah. same questions the people I, that are listening are asked <laughs> well i appreciate that i she really didn't go into much detail or anything we haven't really spoken a lot about this but i think i sort of touched on um just the fact that where i thought i was going to be when i went into pharmacy school isn't exactly where i ended up um and uh i think expectations some kind sometimes can uh, lead us to, uh, kind of, um, I guess get a little bit down on ourselves because, uh, because of that. Um, I, uh, originally went into pharmacy school, I guess, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, you know, or <laughs> whatever you want to call it. Um, I didn't, I don't necessarily think pharmacy school was a difficult process. I know that sounds, I don't know if that sounds, um, like, uh, I don't know, hottie or something like that, but hey, I, it's your story. It <laughs> yes, uh, it, it, it wasn't the pharmacy school part that was hard. It, studying was, it came um, not naturally to me, but it was something that I liked to do. I liked to push myself to the limits. I like to, to learn stuff. I like to dig in deep. If I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. It was the life that happened during pharmacy school that made it difficult. So, um, if we were to go down my pharmacy school uh, uh, story, man, that um, those four years, or actually, let me correct that, those five years were difficult. It's a four-year process. 
unfortunately, my first year, I ended up uh, uh, getting my wisdom teeth taken out. Um, and when I did, I ended up finding out, like, I guess I also had a bunch of tonsillitis, um, a bunch of uh, strep throat. And uh, I went to an ENT and found out that I needed to get my tonsils taken out. So it was about maybe like a week and a half to they, that they scheduled my two surgeries apart. And I asked them, you know, not knowing I was a first year at this point, not knowing, you know, maybe that, that, you know, bacteria from taking out the teeth could affect like, you know, taking out the tonsils as well. But uh, during that process, I aspirated some of the fluid when I got my tonsils taken out. And I ended up being in the hospital for two and a half weeks. The normal process for aspiration, pneumonia of any kind, uh, typically you should be in the hospital for maybe five to seven days. I um, unfortunately was the product of um, an error on one of the nurses part. She kept forgetting to give me my antibiotics. And when she did, she would give it to me randomly, sporadically. And instead of me getting both of them, I would get one or the other. And so they couldn't figure out why I wasn't getting any better. Um, and so that process led to a very difficult uh, first year, um, just because then I was sick for the next months going on, going forward. So I had to go see, sit before the pharmacy um, board and kind of explain to them my situation and see if there was a way to, I guess, catch up on the coursework that I had to sort of miss out on. Um, unfortunately, the only way we could come up with was to extend it another year, which at that point in time, of course, you know, being in one class and then having to go back to like behind in another class, I felt like I was upset, of course, but like anybody would be. Um, but I, I didn't want people to think it was because I was dumb, you know, like there's uh, always that that idea that that's what people thought. And of course, you know, when you don't know the situation, you would think, oh, somebody maybe failed their classes or this is the reason they got moved back. But um, I just, uh, I just kept, I just kept with my schoolwork. Unless somebody asked, you know, I really didn't explain myself. I just, you know, just kept going with it. Well, on top of that, <laughs> I ended up uh, almost drowning in the ocean. Uh, that summer, I know it's it a very difficult uh, time, but I, I literally got pulled out of the ocean um, oh and goodness. had my chest pumped and threw up a bunch of water. Um, the only reason was my best friend and I at the time got caught in a riptide when we were uh, in Nicaragua doing a missions trip for a uh, pharmacy. And uh, she was a lot smaller than I did. Back then, I just did a lot of, you know, weight training. I had already, I had started jujitsu a little bit, but I hadn't really gotten fully into it. I just did a couple classes at Tech before I went to the Health Sciences Center at Texas Tech, because um, I'm originally from Lubbock. So that's kind of where um, I went to school, um, both for undergrad and for uh, pharmacy school. And uh, she was, we got caught in Riptide. I helped her get out by... Um, tossing her kind of towards the, uh, in a diagonal pattern. So if you ever get caught a riptide, just anybody out there, don't try to swim straight back to shore, swim parallel. Yeah. Get out exactly. I didn't uh, know that. She didn't know that we were just trying to swim back. Right. So, yeah. um, hopefully if anybody's listening and that saves your life, you know, there we go. I hope, I hope somebody, there is the reason. Yes, exactly. So, um, so by the time they pulled me out, I just remember like, I, I didn't, 
I couldn't remember exactly, I guess, what, whenever I woke up and I threw up that water, everybody asked my best friend, like, Chelsea, why, what were you thinking whenever you were out there? She was like, I was thinking I was going to, I was going to die. I was never going to make it to the pharmacy school. I was never going to have a family. I was never going to have kids. And they're like, Colleen, what were you thinking while you were out there? And I was out there maybe like five, 10 minutes longer than her. She never, she didn't pass out. She didn't throw up water. She was just scared to death. Right. And they said, Colleen, what was your thought process? And I was like, all I kept thinking was, okay, I'm going to duck into the water. I'm going to come back up. I'm going to breathe. I'm going to yell help. I'm going to breathe again. I'm going to hold my breath and duck down. And I'm going to keep paddling. I'm not dying today. I'm not dying today. And that was just the process over and over. And the, the person who saved me said it was, it was crazy that um, like when they pulled me and they got me, they, I asked, where's Chelsea? Is she okay? They said, yes, she's fine. And I said, great. And I passed out, but my arms and my legs were still moving. It was like my body was not going to give up. I, I just had that mindset that I'm not done. I, I'm not going to give up. Um, and that's been my mindset going forth. But second year, my grandma passed away. Third year, my grandma passed away. Fourth year, I had actually been dating a guy for almost going on almost three years. Um, and he had asked most of my family if it was, you know, okay, if uh, he kind of got their permission to marry me. And things were looking great at that point in time. Um, and I, uh, I was, I actually had, he had been the only guy I'd ever saw myself, I guess, you know, making that step with, like creating a family. I could see it. I can envision it. Um, and uh, during my uh, third year going on to fourth, um, I got a call from him late one night. And I mean, he knew I was at a pharmacy gala and uh, he had went out with some of his friends. I woke up the next morning and I called him and I said, Hey, sorry. Like, you know, I was at that gala. I sent you snaps, all this stuff. Um, and he was like, yeah, he's like, well, there's something I have to tell you. I said, you know, what, you know, what? And I was blown completely back because he was like, I, um, sorry, I cheated on you. And I was like, totally taken back. So at that point in time, everything seemed to be going a lot better. That was the first time in a while that I had, I guess somewhat of a break. Yeah. Um, yeah. All of a sudden your boat rocks again. It, it rocked again. And, and I had every intention of uh, moving from uh, Texas to get this. He was doing residency in Alabama. And so I was going to move from Texas to go live with him in Mobile, Alabama and, uh, and start a life with him. Um, and that was my plan going into pharmacy school, um, not going into pharmacy school, but like going into those years. Um, I had previously kind of thought about doing residency, uh, but whenever uh, I had met him, it was kind of in that, there's like this period, your first and second year, if you want to do residency, you have a certain list of things that you need to get done, you need to accomplish. Right. Um, going into third year, if you haven't accomplished them, you need to start, start them or get towards the end of them because when fourth year comes, that's when you go to what's called APHA. Um, it's the American Pharmacy Association. You go and see a bunch of different places, uh, different residencies, and you figure out like where you're going to go, where you're going to apply. Well, um, at that point in time, I, I was devastated. Um, I just like, I couldn't see past that moment in time. 
So there was, like, he kept calling me every three months. We had this whole, like, you know, kind of, I tried to get him to, I guess, speak to me. Like, if, if it was something so bad, like he wanted to be with somebody else, I understand that. But was what happened? And he told me he just kissed a girl. So I, in my mind, I think that like, you know, there are certain things that are, are, I guess, more, I don't know if I would say cheating in general is wrong, but like, I was like, if it was just that you drank too much and you kissed a girl and it was an accident, then, you know, three years going on four years, that isn't enough to like break up a relationship. Sure. You're still in trouble. Sure. There's still yeah. stuff, but I still think this is a, a relationship yeah. in which we can salvage. You can work and through I, that conflict. Yes, absolutely. And I, I very much, uh, that's the way I work through everything is, um, is like, okay, let's see how bad is the situation and what can we do to progress and move forward? Um, and uh, he said he needed some time because I was the only girl he had ever told he loved you. So I said, okay, I'll give you some time. Um, he blocked me on every form of social media, reached out to his brother, who is a psychologist and told him like, uh, like, please talk to your brother. I don't know what's going on with him, but I was more concerned for him because I felt like what he did devastated him maybe more than it devastated me, even though I was so devastated. Right. Um, and so, uh, come to find out maybe there was more to the story. I don't know if he just didn't want to come to terms to it with it himself. Um, but it took almost a progression of a year for him to finally, I guess, come to the true matter of the fact that he wanted to see other girls. And I told him like, you get a choice. It's either me or other girls. And he said, he paused for the longest, I don't know, minute of my life and said, I guess I pick other girls. And I said, you're going to regret that decision for the rest of your life and you know there you go at least for me <laughs> thanks at least for me at that point in time that was like probably the hardest thing to say but um I guess I got a little satisfaction it still hurts you know but like yeah. a little satisfaction because like three months later he calls me up and was like you're right and I was like well thank you you know I don't know what yeah. else to tell you because there's no hope now coming back from that right. um but so that that was a very devastating point in my life. Another another tragedy to add to the ones that I had during pharmacy school. So that when I say pharmacy school wasn't hard, it was hard. It was definitely life hard. was hard. Yeah, it, it it wasn't easy. But the hard yeah. the hardest part was dealing with all the life things that kept coming, mm -hmm. and then having to put in all that time and effort and act like those things weren't occurring because you have to push them out of your mind and continue on. No matter what, you have to continue on. In order to make it to the end, you have to continue on. And I think maybe those things that happened in pharmacy school helped me with things that are currently happening. It's like, it may be hard, but I got to continue on. There's reasons I continue on, right? Right. So my fourth year, I was, uh, I spent most of my days, like putting on a brave face. Most people didn't even know I was upset except for one of my uh, mentors, my teacher, uh, she asked me kind of, um, you know, hey, Gillian, like, you just don't seem like yourself. Like, you're, you're happy, you're friendly, you talk to people, that's just your nature. But she said, something's like, something's up with your eyes. And I was like, my eyes, you know, like, and she's like, you just look sad. And I was like, you know, I was very appreciative of her, her because she was there for me um, in a way that like, she didn't have to be. She was the mentor, she was a teacher. But me and her now are really good friends. Um, but I 
told her about like the whole situation and she said well Killian like you know there have been like really great opportunities in pharmacy school where you showed potential like it like other yeah like above some of your classmates that I've seen so she was like have you ever considered residency I was like it's fourth year like I don't know if I could do a residency and she said well you know um she's like there's a lot to be done have you done any of these things and I said well what are the list of things that I need to have done and she gave me a list of things that I had to get done and she said some of them had to be done in like first year some of them had been done second year and I said well here's a list of things that I needed to get done let me try why don't I just try these things? And if I can get them done by the time APHA comes around, and this is like maybe June or July of that, you know, year, and I need to have it done by October um, in order to go to APHA. And so I literally put everything I had into that done. Yeah, it was, it was a, it was a difficult time. I mean, I don't even know how I had time for like other activities, but I portioned out my time. I, 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 I guess one other thing I did randomly was, uh, I ran my own half marathon because I was so angry. I know that's like, I'd never had the training, but it was just one of those things, exercise and, and finding an outlet for a healthy outlet you know, was one of the things that I, I strive to do um, on, a, on a normal basis, just because if, you know, when life is hard, you're going to find an outlet some way. And I don't, I don't want to put that on anybody else. Um, but working, uh, working out, those are things I can control um, as a person. So I put everything I could into that. I ended up getting a bunch of interviews for residency. Um, and actually, right before I guess the application process was due. I uh, I got a job offer in Abilene, Texas, which is where I was doing my third and fourth year. Um, and the job offer seemed too good to be true. And when I talked to the uh, professor that I was on rotation with at the time, because I really wanted to do infectious diseases, he said, Killian, you want to know why that offer is so good? I said, why? He said, because you worked your butt off. And he goes, but they know that you're worth more than, than that job is going to give you. He's like, you put in so much effort, you put in so much work. He's like, sometimes I don't even know like how you do all of this. And I, I, at the time, I guess I didn't realize it, it was coping mechanism, you know, putting, throwing myself into work, throwing myself into anything else, but like getting to the core of my feelings is a coping mechanism. Um, and uh, I uh, I was like, okay, well, I, I understand where you're coming from, but this job offer seems really, really um, like too good to be true, right? Um, and I was, I was graduating in 2018. I make about now what I was being offered then. And so that kind of just tells you that coming out of school, I should not have been offered that much money, right. but at the same time, like they were, it was a hospital job. It just seemed very, it seemed like along the lines of what I wanted to do. And I had this choice. Do I want to go to residency? Because I had the opportunity. I went to out of like five places that I got um, interviews offered. I think I went to like three, three of them um, or four of them, something of that sort. And uh, out of the, the ones I went to, there was two that were my top choice. 
Um, the third one I could go ahead and place if I wanted to. The, the processing system is a little bit different. Um, but I, I was like, you know what? I kept praying about it. And I said, I don't, I don't know what I want to do. Like, do I want to take the job? I'll be close to home. Or do I want to go to residency? Because I worked so hard to like try to get this done. And I really wanted to do infectious diseases. It, it still fascinates me to this day. Um, but uh, I said, okay, God, like here, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put my top choice down for residency. And if I match, I'll take that. And if I don't, I'll take the job offer. And, uh, you know, being in that matching program, um, the way that they match is if you're, if you're somebody's first choice and you're also their first choice, y'all automatically match. But then it's like a, a linear process after that. So if I'm, if I'm their first choice, but they're like my fifth choice, if I don't get my first, second, third, fourth choice, then I yeah, then it'll move. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. And so uh, come match day, I matched with them. And speaking to the, the uh, uh, pharmacist that I uh, ended up interviewing with, they were like, we could not believe it. You were our first choice. And I was just blown away by that. I was just like, so in awe. And I finally felt like, okay, good things are happening again. You know, like I had, I had, uh, I worked so hard for this, you know, I, I, I had, um, how would I want it like coming and everything just seemed to be falling into place again. And so, um, I remember moving from Abilene to Santa Fe and my brother, you know, he, he was my best friend. Um, he, he got a bunch of his friends to like pick up all my stuff from Abilene and track it all the way to Santa Fe, New Mexico, help me set up my apartment. And, uh, just kept saying how proud he was of me. Um, and from the beginning of uh, residency to that point, we talked almost every Wednesday. And it was probably one of the things I look forward to the most. Uh, just because residency was hard. I would work anywhere from, you know, most of the time, it's supposed to be eight hour days, but it was anywhere from 10 to 14, sometimes 16 hours. Um, wow. One day off a week, but I loved it. It didn't yeah. feel like work because I loved it so much. Um, and I look forward to telling my brother all about it. He looked forward to hearing about it. And it was just a, a blessing when I look back. Um, but that uh, that December of that year, um, that was in pharmacy school. I'm in pharmacy school, in residency. Yeah, I was probably in there seven, eight months. Uh, he During that process, he started to get sick. And uh, the doctor that he uh, was seeing kept telling him that it was his tonsils that was making him not breathe well, that that's why they were flying fluid around his lungs. That's why he was having trouble just doing regular daily activities. He's, he was 33. And I, I told my brother, I said, your left side of your body is swollen. Like, that doesn't sound like tonsils to me. That sounds like congestive heart failure. And I said, can they not have a cardiologist like at least look at you? Because heart problems run in my mom's side of the family, um, some of my dad's family. But uh, my mom's eldest brother passed away about when he was in his almost 40s uh, because of wow. heart problems. She has heart problems. Her younger brother has heart problems. It just runs in the family. So my brother was six foot eight and maybe like four, almost 400 pounds. 
with 380 to 400 pounds, he's a big boy. Like there's no way that his heart wasn't already needing to be looked at in general. Um, Oh, wow. But they really didn't go through, I guess, a full process. And he ended up unfortunately passing away. um, I'm so sorry. Thank you. I appreciate that. So sorry. Um, But what a cool way that you connected while you were in residency. Yes, and just being able to dig deep and just share something. And so even though, you know, you mentioned earlier that you still think of him in those ways and those conversations. Yeah. So, wow. He, so it's actually, I, I feel very blessed because he passed away on, on Thursday. Um, and I spoke to him that Wednesday for oh, like Wednesday. an hour and a half. I'm sorry. Yeah. On Wednesday, you had had yes, your conversation. Ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And I, I'm so glad because I almost, I was so tired that day. And I almost, almost didn't do it. Up. But I picked up because I knew I'd feel better. Yeah. And it's kind of like the same thing when it comes to any time that I, I'm so tired sometimes. Yeah. I mean, that's just the reality of life and like all the things that I, I guess I, uh, um, I told you is uh you know life is hard and yeah. in general but like you know work and then family um just explaining things my my mom is a, a grandmother but she's essentially acting like another mother because she's doing yeah. a lot of the driving my sister-in-law doesn't really speak very much english because she's also from nepal and she has two little babies one's five one's three my dad's on hospice. He can't really yeah. move. He, he, he's bedridden. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, is a lot of that was put on my mom. Um, yeah. And after my brother passed, it was either, you know, stay in residency for the next year or two to finish out getting my, um, it's just an add-on. Like for pharmacy, you don't have to have a residency. Right, right. Practice. Um or come back and help my mom. And uh, for me, that was a no brainer. Like, sure, I, I want to be an infectious disease pharmacist. That would be my ultimate goal. Um, I had, I had like, I guess, bigger dreams going forward if I was to get to that point, you know? But the thing is, is like, I think like family trumps that, if that makes any sense. It doesn't yeah. trump my dreams in general, but. I made, I made my dreams happen by becoming a pharmacist, but it's not something I can't put on hold and continue later on. If that's still a dream that I have, yeah. but dreams change sometimes and, well, and life does that. Well, one of the things that you said earlier is you came into your pharmacy education, not on the timeline that everybody else did. And so even if your timeline shifts, you already have experience with knowing that timelines can shift. Yes. So, so let's take a little bit of a turn. I mean, you've sure. had a lot of um, tragedy that you didn't ask for, that nobody asked for. You've handled situations and, and you've gone forward. And jiu-jitsu was a part of your life as you were in your early college years. And now it's a part of your life professionally, you know, where you're, you have a career and this is an outlet. A lot of people that I know who are involved in the 
world say that it improves every aspect of their life. Yes. It fills into every aspect. Can you relate to that? And can I kind of draw lines to that? Uh, yes, ma'am. I actually, actually wholeheartedly support every time I hear anybody say that I have heard that um, I believe on some of your podcasts that I've actually listened to. And I'm just like, yes, every single time that I hear that said, because, uh, okay. So whenever I came back to Lubbock, that was one of those things. Lubbock, Texas is where I, I grew up, born, raised, um, left. I tried to come back to say it sucks you back in. So here I am. But um, the thing was, is I, I kept thinking, okay, I'm going to the gym. I'm doing everything that I love to do, but I can't seem to be, I can't seem to find anything that I'm, I'm, you know, finding any enjoyment out of. That's how I got back into jujitsu because I was kind of like, what was something that kind of brought me joy, but I haven't like, I haven't done it in a really long time. And that was just something I'd done in passing back in undergrad. And so I was kind of like, well, let me try this again. Like that gave me joy. Um, and it's something my brother and I had talked about, you know, we both, uh, kind of like enjoyed, um, just martial arts, mixed martial arts in, gen- in general. So, uh, when I got, got back into it, I started to realize that my mind, my mind, um, kind of shift to, you know, not why this is happening, but like, how, how is it impacting me and how, um, can I go forth and impact others? Right. And so, um, just in general, the, the, uh, like the discipline that comes with practicing, um, I was able to put that into my life as well. Um, I'm not one very, I'm not very big on, um, or I wouldn't say I'm not very big, but I'm not very good at like, you know, setting schedules for myself. Like I'm going to do this at this time. I'm going to do that at this time, you know, uh, but with jujitsu in order to plan to make it to classes, I had to make a schedule. Um, it also, uh, I got my nieces to, uh, start training as well. Um, the old ones specifically, and, uh, you can see her confidence, you know, being built up. Um, and, and in the same way, I, I believe my confidence was built up from, from coming home and, and feeling so disheartened from everything that had happened um that just being able to uh kind of uh, incorporate that into my life it, it gave me uh, such joy that i i can't couldn't even describe to you to see that like you know this man that 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 looks so difficult that doesn't seem like something that you would just to me like book learning is a lot easier than like application learning in that sense. So whenever I, I would see a move done, I'm like, can I do that? I don't know if I could do that. And so um, that just giving me a little bit more confidence in that, in that sense, brought a little bit more confidence in other things that I was like, I don't know if I can do that. And I'm like, well, you know what? I, I did this move in jujitsu. Let me try this. Let me see if I can't do that. Which seems so, it, I don't know if that seems silly or not, but like just the idea behind like, earlier on this month I thought I couldn't do this certain move and then it was broken down into little pieces for me and I was able to kind of digest it and become pretty decent at it so now this is a a situation in which I don't know how to handle this but let me break this down into little pieces to see how I can best digest this so I can do the same thing 
Um, in general, I think, I think some of the anger that I was holding on to that I didn't really know how to like let go of, it helped me to see that, you know, it's, it's okay to try at something and fail and try and fail. But if you keep trying, it doesn't necessarily mean you always fail. Um, but also just kind of, um, it helped me in general to, uh, to just show myself some kindness because I just, I kind of always, ever since I was a kid, um, I was always really good at listening, I guess, to my parents. My dad would always give me a list of things to do. He would give us all a list of things to do, to be honest, me, my brother, my sister, I would get my list done. And, uh, I would see that my brother and sister did not get their list done. So I would go and try to help them. And at first, my brother and sister used to think that I was doing it in order to like one up them, but I was doing it so they wouldn't get in trouble. So my dad started to notice that I would get my work done. So he'd give me more work. So that way I couldn't help them with their work, but instead I would just <laughs> rise through the challenge and do my work and still do their work. And still do. And it was like, yeah. So it was always a progression of, you know, working hard, working hard, working harder to the point of exhaustion. And in jujitsu, I found that like, I've had plenty of uh, coaches and um, people uh, tell me that like, you know, it's good to like push yourself, but like also it's good for you to rest. And the idea of being able to rest to make my jujitsu better was kind of a weird concept to me. Cause like, I always thought like you have to, you know, work harder in order for it to get better, but it's your body can't always handle so much stress. If you're going to continue to put a stress on a joint over and over and over at some point, it's going to break. Right. And so it's, it's the same idea. You need to be able to give yourself the rest too. And I know a lot of people, uh, maybe their jujitsu is uh, spoken about a little bit differently in the sense that, um, you know, the rest part doesn't come in as often as, you know, the training part, but just allowing myself that, that, um, the discipline to practice, but also the discipline to rest is been a big factor in how it, it shaped me. That's a hard concept. And it's probably one that you didn't really put into play when you were trying to make those goals in school either. <laughs> Uh, yes, ma'am. That is actually very accurate. You're spot on. Um, actually, uh, I have insomnia because of that reason, unfortunately. I mean, I've, I've always struggled with ADHD. I'm very energetic, high energy person. Like I said, when I was younger, if I didn't get my work done, you know, I would beat myself up. I would like mentally, not physically. Yeah, I would mentally do that. And then if I didn't help my brother and sister, it would be the same thing. And so tomorrow I'm going to work harder. Tomorrow I'm going to work harder. And I would sit there and think about how can I do this over and over and over to the point where rest seemed very few and far between. And even now um, I have trouble with sleeping and I I unfortunately have to take medication to sleep because of it. Um, And it, it was just something that I guess when I was a child, I was, I was diagnosed with ADHD, but my parents being, my dad being raised the way he was in the military. Um, he was in the Navy counterintelligence, but my mom, she was in the, um, from Nepal and they don't, they don't believe in using medication. They use in, you know, 
eating correctly and using herbs and different things like that to, to, um, help your health. And so, uh, whenever I was diagnosed with it, my mom was like, Oh no, 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 we can basically fix that. And so as I got older, the more I, I dwelled on, you know, this needs to get done. That needs to get done. I didn't do enough. I need to continue to do enough. Um, my mom and dad would pull me in and ask me my thought process on things because I'm very, um, Oh, I don't, I don't know what the word is. Um, I guess rational would be a good word for it. Mm-hmm. I would look at both sides and kind of, uh, I guess, very pragmatic. I'd be like, okay, you're, you're right because of this reason. You're right because of this reason. Okay, let's see um, how we can fix this because you're also wrong because of this reason. You're wrong because of this reason. So nobody's right. And I always believe that in any situation. So in order to like balance things, my brain would always continue to keep working and going and going and going. And I would never allow myself to, to rest to the point where I got, um, it wasn't until my hands and my feet started swelling. And I thought I was having some sort of like immune reaction. I went to the doctor and they said, you're having anxiety. Can you think of any reason why you're having anxiety? I'm like, I don't have anxiety. (laughs) Well, I was like, I don't, I don't understand how many having anxiety because like the thing is, is that, I mean, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm anxious. Right. I don't feel like that. And I, then I started explaining to them, okay, this is my day. And uh, when they started to find out that I only slept maybe like two hours a night, they're like, that, that's your problem right there. And I'm like, well, I'll go to sleep and then I'll wake up. And once I wake up, um, I, if I can't go back to sleep, I don't see any point in me laying in bed for another four hours when I'm just going to be laying there. So I should might as well get up and do stuff and be productive because if not, then here's all these other things that I have to get done. And if I lay there, all I'm going to think about is how to get all these other things done. And so um, it's always just been a very difficult concept for me is to rest. Um, and uh, jujitsu kind of taught me that it's okay to rest. Um, it's okay not to be perfect at it the first time. It's okay not to. Um, That's exactly <laughs> where I wanted to go because jujitsu, I mean, they'll tell you. <laughs> You're going to feel as incompetent in doing something. Coming off the mat, there'll be days that you feel like you know nothing. Exactly. And then, and, and that can happen a lot. It, it can. And, and that was one of those things that, that, that scared me about going to jiu-jitsu, though. It's because um, I, I talk about the McCraggans a lot. I really, I really love them. Um, they're just amazing. They are fabulous. <laughs> uh, BMAC once told me that the days that you don't feel like going to jujitsu are the days you need to go. And I'm like, you want to know what? Sometimes that's like almost every single time because I feel like I'm going to be, I'm going to come off the mat and feel like I know nothing. I'm going to come off the mat and feel like I, I had no progress. And those were the days I guess you have the most progress because you didn't want to go, but yet you still went. And even if you don't, I guess, realize that you absorbed something you did. Um, and there's been so many times that I get, that's when I can real, I can feel myself when I'm apprehensive. I'm like, that's what they're talking about, but about anxiety. It's not, it's not totally just a, not always it's going to be presented, I guess. It's not always going to be like a physical, like I can't breathe or, oh, oh my gosh. Like, you know, feeling of that sort of sense, sometimes just, just the apprehension of trying something or doing something. 
Um, and then, and then uh, speaking to them when we were uh, back at the No Dream camp, I I remember them being like, "Okay, we're gonna try this to go over this drill like twenty five times, and you're not gonna be good at it until you do it about a thousand times." And I'm like, "What? Like that's so many times!" Like you know, and I'm like, "Okay, and like, we'll do it a couple times." And I'm like, "Oh, I got it down." And then you know, I'll go into like rolling with somebody. And I'm like, "Oh, I remember this move," and then I'll try it, and I'm like, "Oh shoot, I didn't do it correctly. I forgot this and this and this thing," and I'm like. That's why they're saying you need to practice it so many times. That's why they're saying all this. It's not that you don't may may not, I guess, get the concept or have the concept. It's just that muscle memory isn't always going to be there. And sometimes, you know, being humans, our brains don't always, I guess, absorb everything the first time around. And so it's just, uh, I think when, when, when they say that it it affects every aspect of your life. It's, it's, it's just a multi like faceted thing because it's not just, you know, the, the fact that it gives you confidence. It's not just the fact that it gives you uh, an outlet. It's, it's the fact that it teaches you things that you probably have been taught before or have been, have, I guess someone's tried to teach you before, but the concept doesn't always, I guess, come as clear as whenever you are in the midst of doing um like jujitsu because like it can be something as simple as like that like something you've done so many times and then you forget one thing and you're like why 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 didn't I get that right or why didn't that go the way I wanted it to go and you're like oh you know like it's just one of those like clarity moments like oh I didn't give myself that time or oh I didn't give myself that you know, that grace. And sometimes that's, that's what jujitsu teaches me is it's, it's, it's the beauty of giving yourself grace, um, in, in times and periods in which you think that you should be doing something perfectly when you, nobody's perfect, you know? Well, you said something there that kind of raised a, a cue for me of giving yourself grace. And I think, do you think sometimes that we're looking for that from external places or other people? And then you go back to your story of the fellow you were dating and you thought more of yourself than to go, oh, okay, yeah, you got me. You missed me. All right, now let's go forward together. It was like you put yourself in a spot where it sounds like you value yourself would yes. that be accurate i i, I think uh, that is a very accurate um i think that's very accurate um i for a second i, I was kind of uh i was like oh no wasn't that graceful <laughs> it kind of worried me but i i think over the over the period of time uh that is something I've noticed about myself, which it, it's not a bad thing. Um, not at all. Means to put other people first, but it's it's not a very um, practical thing to do that all the time. Sometimes you have to put yourself first, and I I have a very difficult time with that. Um, and it sure it, it's great to be selfless, but if you're 
if you're selfless all the time, then you have no self, if that makes any sense. There, there's I agree with nothing, that. Yeah, there's nothing left of you to continue to give. They, they talk about like, you know, pouring from a pitcher and if there's nothing, if you poured out the whole pitcher to everybody else's glasses and there's nothing left in the pitcher, then, then you can't pour anymore. And yeah. so you have to give yourself that time to like be able to fill up and pour again. And I think most of the time when I, I go through relationships or I, I go through it, mostly anything in general, I, I tend to put other people first and I, I, again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change that part about me, but I, I right. would, I would alter it a little bit in the sense that I, I do need to put myself first in certain situations. And that, that is a very good example of one of the times that it took me a while to get there. Like I said, it was, it was three months where I gave him space to, to figure out what he, what he did wrong, what he needed. Then in those three months, he told me, let's break up. Three months later, he said, I want to go back to being your boyfriend. And I said, you know, it's been six months. You can try to get back to the point we were, but you don't get that title back. And I was proud of myself in that moment because that was me choosing myself. Right. But, but maybe at that point in time, I should have already had cut it off. But at the same time, I was somewhat hopeful. Three months later, he kind of had the same thing where he wasn't giving time or effort towards me. And I still, I was understanding because I knew he had a lot going on. And I mean, so did I, but at the same time, whenever it came to him, I would give him more time and I would put my things aside for him in an act of like maybe selflessness, but also I guess maybe a little bit of selfishness because I wanted that time with him. Right. Yeah. Um, and so then when it came to the point where he, he made it clear that he wasn't, it wasn't just me that he wanted, he wanted other girls as well. I had to make that distinction. Like what is my values? Can I, can I sit here and say like, okay, I'm okay with you being with other girls and me, or, or do I say like, here's your choice. It's you, it's either them or me. Um, and, and then when I finally made that decision and I hung up that phone with him, I think I, I cried so much because I, I was, I was angry. I was, I was sad. I was also like, excuse me, did you make the right decision? You know, like it was, it wasn't. It was like me thinking that I was being selfish by choosing, by making him decide, right? Because I knew he was struggling. I knew like there's things going on, but I was also struggling and I wasn't thinking of myself. And um, and when it finally came back to that time that he he did call back and said he made the wrong choice, I think it it was giving myself grace by by saying that, you know, what you picked was okay. What you picked was, was for you. What you picked was, wasn't selfish. It, it was what all. you needed. And uh, I think um, still coming, coming to terms with that over, even now, that was back before I even graduated in 2018. I, uh, I still look back and it. Part of me is, uh, is proud of myself. Part of me is, is sad for myself. Because the, the life, like I said, the life and the thought process I had, um, just in general, is completely different than when I pictured way back yeah. then. 
I mean, I, I made the decision to go to pharmacy school instead of medical school under the idea that at, at some point in time, either during my pharmacy career, after I became a pharmacist, I wasn't expecting like right after anything like that, but that I would become like a wife, have kids, and then, you know, be able to work part-time. It's a lot easier to do that as a pharmacist than yeah. as a doctor. As a doctor, that's very true. And, uh, and that was, that was my reasoning for uh, picking that. And, and a part of, part of that is culture that plays, that plays a role in that. My mom's from Nepal and they want you to get married. They want you to have kids. I mean, any parents do, of course, you know, they want that for their kids. Um, but it's a big thing in Nepal. They like, they want you to get arranged marriage if you're not married by a certain time. And, and me being, I guess, older, my mom's like, you know, it's not, it's not getting any sooner like you know let me like hug you up with somebody and I'm like you know I don't want to be in love with somebody I don't want to just marry someone because it's what's supposed to be done in culture or what is supposed to be done because somebody else wants that for me I, I want it to be something that I want um and, and in that sense too I, I mean sometimes I feel bad because I feel like that's a selfish decision but again it's back to what you know, am, am, am I making that selfishly because I don't want to give my mom uh, kids or grandkids? No, it's because I also want to be happy. And so yeah. that's also giving myself, I guess, the grace to pick, you know, giving myself a little bit of, of, of grace and in, in, um, in, in my decisions. Like, you sure. know, I, I do. I do know what's best for myself. I may not know what's best all the time. But in certain situations, I do know what's best for myself. And I am adult now. And so I can make these decisions for myself. Well, I think it's what we talked about a few minutes ago. Uh, It's the putting one foot in front of the other. And you have a general path and you're putting one foot in front of the other. Um, Do you not think that all that you've been through makes you a better pharmacist? I um, I do believe so, and I do hope so. I mean, I believe so in myself. Um, and a lot of the times, uh, it's I'm very blessed to have the texts that I have. Um, and a lot of them will just randomly tell me, like, Julian, a couple of them want to be pharmacists, and and a couple of them just in general, they're like, I love the way you talk to patients. I love the way that you relate it to your life somehow. And you make them feel comfortable. I hope that if I become a pharmacist, I'm like you someday. And like, that always hits me. I always like have to like, you know, be like, thanks. And like, try not to tear up, you know, because that's such, that's such a blessing to hear, um, mm-hmm. you know, because um, whenever I, whenever I approach a patient or, or uh, anyone in general, I, I like to think of it as if it was me when I was either younger or my family member or someone like, you know, that I cared for. And that's how I try to treat my patients. And so when they ask me anything about medication, I try to give them the best of my knowledge. And if I don't know, I tell them, hey, like, you know, I know some about this medication, but give me a moment. Let me take a a minute to go look this up just so that I can give you the accurate Mm -hmm. information. I feel like that really does play a role in the way that I, I treat people and the way that especially all the, all the trauma that I've been through, you know, the hurt and the, the pain I went through, like, you know, with my grandma, my grandpa helping with their healthcare and their, the healthcare decisions when I was 
probably a lot younger than I should have been helping in those situations. But being in pharmacy school, you know, I think automatically when you get into like any sort of medical field, your family thinks you automatically know everything and and you don't, but, but it was my pleasure to be able to help like in those situations. Um, And so whenever it comes to people coming in, it doesn't matter what it's about. If you ask me any question, I'm, I'm going to explain it to you in a way that you understand because I think everybody deserves that. I think that if everyone could have someone that cared enough to at least explain it to them in a way that they could understand, there'd be a lot less confusion in just in, in every uh, aspect of it. Like for example, my grandpa, when he was, um, when he was a passing, he had COPD. Um, and the doctor came in and told my aunt, like, here, sign this paper. Um, we just, we need the signature. And she said, what is it? What is it? He said, it's a DNR. And she said, what's the DNR? He said, do not resuscitate. She said, why would I sign that? He said, well, because if it gets to the point that he is past saving, we don't need to do any life like saving measures. We need to, you know, like let him pass. And she's like, but why? And he's like, I don't have time to explain it to you. Just sign the papers. And my aunt was like, exactly. My aunt was like, I don't understand. Like what, you know, like, why would you just tell me my dad is past saving? Like, why wouldn't you like tell me why he's past saving? So whenever my aunt, she, I had actually come to visit that weekend, which, you know, was, I think that was a God thing. I came to visit just to see him. And talked to them. My aunt was like, I don't understand. Why would he give me these papers? I said, let me read it. And so I like looked at it. I said, oh, Aunt Cindy, like this right here is, it's a, it's a DNR. It says, do not resuscitate. And this is the reason why. His lungs are functioning anywhere from maybe 40 to 60%. If they were to do compressions on his chest, there's a very likely chance that his ribs would break. If his ribs break, it can puncture his lungs. If it punctures his lungs, that 40 to 60% is no longer 40 to 60%. No matter what else they try to do, even if he ends up on like a, a ventilator, even if he works, like ends up in, in, in a state of comatose, the thing is, is that it's not going to be very helpful to him because of the fact that there's only now, instead of if it punctures a good part of that lung, say there's. 60% and a puncture is 20%. Now it's 40%. If it's 40% and a puncture is 20%, there's 20%. And now he's operating at a, at a, a lower rate of like inhaling oxygen. Oxygen is needed for the tissues. Oxygen is needed for the repairing process. Instead of him having a better quality of life, he's going to end up in state worse off. And so the doctor is asking you to sign these so that way your dad's no longer in more pain, you know, because in the long run, unfortunately, saving his life in that moment isn't going to save his quality of life. And and he just didn't take the time to explain. Exactly. And my my aunt was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And she signed it. And then she's like, I'll I'll give this to the doctor. I said, please allow me to give it to the doctor. And I, I went up to the doctor and I said, sir, I said, not to be disrespectful. I said, I, I'm a second year in pharmacy school. Um, and I don't know as much as you. And I said, but please, when you do this to 
like you give this to another patient. Can you please explain to them why they're signing this? I said, my aunt had no clue why you wanted her to sign this. And I know in medical school, they taught you bedside manner. They taught you all these things. I said, the thing is, is that if you had just explained that to her, it took a few minutes to explain that to her. She would have felt a lot more comfortable signing that for you right then and there than yeah. waiting till I showed up to tell her this. And I said, I don't think you're a bad doctor by any means. And I'm sure you're overwhelmed with everything. I said, and even if you couldn't, didn't have the time to explain it, you could say, hey, you know, like here are the forms. Let me have a nurse or someone who can explain it better to you. Come and talk to you about it. Yeah. Instead of telling them, here are the papers, sign it. I don't have the time to explain it to you. I don't have the, you know, you just need to do it because it's what's best. How does she know mm. you know what's best for her dad? She doesn't know if you have his best interests at heart. Not saying that that says anything about you as a doctor, but just in general, no one really fully yeah. knows what anybody else's intentions are. I mean, for me, it's, it's like any conversation. If you're going to have a conversation with somebody um, or if you have an issue with somebody, you have to explain it to them. Otherwise, they're never going to know your thought process. They're never going to know exactly where you're coming from. Right. So, oh, it's the yeah. so yeah. I think that's true, whether you're talking about a medical situation or if you're talking about anything. I mean, you're you're definitely looking at communication being part of the process. Yes. Um, whether you're on a jiu-jitsu mat or you're in a medical situation. Very, um, very true. Communication can be very even, important. Even, yes, ma'am. The small, smallest thing like tapping, sometimes you're in a, a very weird situation. You can't tap the mat. You can't tap the person. The words tap, tap, tap is enough for somebody to let go, you know? If you can't verbalize that, or if you can't, um, like as a training partner, if you can't express to them, like, Hey, that was great. You did a great job, except for, Hey, maybe if you, if you do this, it'll be a little bit easier. And then that's what I love in like training partners and, and being a training partner is that if somebody's going to work with me, I want them to become the best that they can be. And I want them to want me to become the best that I can be. So if I'm not doing yeah. the move correctly, or you can't really feel the the um the move being done or if there's somewhere that I, you can take me just a little bit I would rather you verbalize it to me or explain it to me um and I think that's the beauty in jujitsu is most most of the time when you get a training partner they want you to become the best that you can be and vice versa and I, I, that's what I love so much about the community is because it's it's not just a, a me sport it's a we sport it's 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 a group of people caring about each other, whether you're going to be competing or whether you're just learning for everyday life. In in the instance you were, you know, unfortunately jumped or something was to happen to you, like knowing that small little detail could be the, the make or break of saving your life. And so just communication in general is huge in all aspects of life. I think and for me, relationships in general, if I can't communicate well with you, our relationship isn't going to be as strong as it could be. So what would you tell 16 year old self? My 16 year old self, your 16 year old self. Oh man. My 16 year old self. If she would listen, she was a little, <laughs> I'm just um, my 16 year old <laughs> self, I would, I would tell her that, you know, to give herself a little bit of a break, you know, to, I guess I would tell her that, you know, 
yeah, life is, is, is very serious. That's, that's great that you're taking life seriously, that you're working so hard, but to give yourself a little bit more of a break. And I would, I would say more of a, more of a mental break than, than just a physical break, because a lot of the things I did physically did help me to sleep better, did help me to work better, to become stronger, to become all those things. But mentally, if I didn't do something perfectly, or if I thought, if I just thought I hurt somebody's feelings, I would mentally go over and over and over it. And and mentally, I guess, beat myself up over things that potentially could have not even been an issue, which is something I've learned as, as I've grown up is, is I can't read your mind and you can't read mine. Like, I think I verbalized that earlier. Yeah. Unless, unless I can like ask you and say, Hey, did I hurt your feelings? Or if you tell me, Hey, you hurt my feelings. I, I don't know for sure if that is possible or not, just because you make a facial expression doesn't mean that that was so um intense to you as it was as I I guess um as I as I perceived it from you. And right. so, and I think 16 year old me took took on a lot more um a lot more issues because I made them up myself if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. In my head I thought I hurt a lot more people than I did. And when I would yeah. talk to them about it they're like oh no that was yeah what are you talking about exactly and so a lot of a lot of the a lot of the times I would uh just sit there and ruminate about things that nothing um that there was nothing I could do about um something that I heard I think it's one of my favorite um things to think about when I start doing that is don't should yourself like don't don't say I should have done this I should have done that you can't go back in the past all you can do is move on to the future so by sitting there saying I should have done this I should have done that you're just causing yourself more emotional stress emotional pain when instead of I should have you can do something about it and figure out you know did I actually cause an issue or a problem so my 16 year old self sat there a lot and worried a lot about other people when sometimes those other people, like looking back, I don't know a lot of them anymore. I mean, a lot of those oh, people that's are, true too. yeah, they're not really my, they're not really not my friends anymore, but they're really not a lot of people that I am connected to now. Right. Um, but I, I took so much time um, and effort just sitting there beating myself up over things that they didn't even have a second thought about. And had I just asked them, hey, like, you know, did I, was this an issue? Or, hey, you know, I'm sorry if I caused any issues with you because of this. I think it would have solved a lot of my, my problems. But 16-year-old self just kind of thought that, you know, I was, uh, I needed to think it over a lot more than I did when it would have given me a lot of more of a mental break, a little, a little bit more mental space, a little bit more mental relaxation and I think um I mean I also I did my yoga uh teaching 200 hours and that kind of taught me a lot about like mental stability and giving myself that mental clarity and mental space 
whenever I I uh, got to points like that. And maybe that's where I heard the don't show it yourself, but it's just a very good concept to keep in mind. So I like the don't should yourself because I imagine that we all do that in each decade of our lives. So yes, ma'am. Should I? Should I? Well, I should I? And um, you don't really, sometimes you get a redo, but most of the time you don't. You just have to take exactly. what you've got and keep going. Um, we've talked a lot, gone a lot of different places. Is there anything we haven't mentioned that you want to make sure we cover? You are right. We did kind of go a lot of places. Um, I think that um, one of the things that we covered was, you know, our uh, ability to, you know, look, look at others and look at ourselves. But I think that in general life is just, it is a series of events with, with other people. You're always going to be dealing with people. And so, yes, it's always good to think about other people and talk about other people, but make sure that you're also thinking about yourself and as maybe cuckoo as it sounds, talking to yourself, whether that's like journaling or like just in the car, sometimes I'll be driving to work and be like, Hey, you know, how am I feeling? What am I, you know, what am I, um, processing from this day, from yesterday, you know, like from, from everything that's happened currently. And sometimes I'll find myself like asking myself that question and crying because I, didn't realize I was holding on to so much that I hadn't really checked in with myself. And I think that checking in with other people is great. They say throughout all this process of all this, you know, turmoil and tragedy and everything that's going on with COVID and, you know, everybody's families being sick, that a lot of people are so worried about other people, but they sometimes forget to check in on themselves. And I know I'm very, very much at fault. Um, in that sense, too, is checking in on myself. It's, it's something hard to do. It's always been something hard to do. Um, but whenever you have the ability to control yourself, then you have the ability to then control the things around you and to control um, the things that are coming towards you. And so I think that's a, a very big emphasis on everything I've learned this far in my journey is. Um, just making sure that you are self-aware and self, you have self-empathy and that you care about yourself as well, as much as you care as about everybody else, because empathy and kindness are great, but you also need to have that for yourself. Otherwise you can't, like I said, give it out to others as well. So that is all very valid, very valid. Um, if you had a superpower and you had it for 24 hours, you can use it professionally or personally, what would that be? And why would you choose it? And how would you use it? I had a superpower for 24 hours. Oh man. My brother would have loved this question. Um, <laughs> we're really big into superheroes. Um, cool. If I had a superpower, I think my superpower would be that 
I would I would wish that everyone could see themselves the way that I see them, which I, I don't know if that's a superpower or if that's, I don't, I don't know. The thing yeah, is, I is, I, is. I, I think I, when I see, when I see other people, I, I, I view them in such a way that like, even if I just met you for the first time, I get a feeling of people. I, I, I get like a, a warmth or, or, or a light or a color or a, something about them kind of just radiates to me. And I, I love to express that to people. But sometimes I guess that might come off weird. And, and there's some people that I just, I love to tell them, you know, like give them encouragement or, or give them um, some sort of light, some sort of, I guess, um, I guess I, if I could like somehow, I guess if it was a superpower, I guess I could bottle it up and give it to them to hold on to and like see themselves the way that I see them. Because a lot of the times people don't get that enough from other people. And I feel like if I could just somehow, I don't know why it's in the shape of an orb, obviously. But if they could just see it that way, um, because sometimes people take it in, in a very friendly way. And some people sometimes, you know, it could just be like, I mean, like coming from a female to a male, it, it could seem like weird to people. And I, I would rather it, people understand that it's, it's comes, it comes from a friendly place. It comes from like a place of just me. My mom's always said it's kind of been a gift of mine to be able to see someone and kind of have a feeling about them. And if I could just bless people with that for 24 hours, like actually just give them like a gift in which they could at any point in time, go back to it when they're feeling sad or they're feeling lonely or they're feeling like they're not worth a lot. If they don't, if they feel like hopeless, just having that, like, you know, little bit of, I guess the view of themselves and what I think that they're capable of and what they're, they're able to do with their lives like if I could just have that in some sort of if I could just somehow make that into something that I could give out as a gift for 24 hours I would find all the people I could and, and give them all the potential that I see that they have because I feel like a lot of people don't they either don't get that given to them told to them or sometimes they don't see it themselves and I feel like there's a lot of untapped potential just because there's not a lot of belief instilled into the people that they can reach their potential as well. Sure, everybody says if you want something, you go out and get it yourself. But sometimes people grow up without having anyone to believe that potential in them. And if I could give that out to everybody that I saw within a 24-hour period, that I think that would be the best superpower that I could come up with. Um, I think that's I'm phenomenal. Sorry. I'm sorry. I think that's phenomenal. Oh, thank you. But if I had to be like super practical, I'd probably be like the like I love the Flash. My brother loves Superman, and I just like run around for 24 hours. That'd be cool too. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> but. that's great. Colleen, how do people follow you? Get in touch with you? So uh, on Instagram, my handle is at Colleen Machine. Uh, <laughs> And uh, it rhymes, but my name is spelled K-U-L-I-N-E 
Um, and then of course machine. Um, you can find me on Facebook. Um, again, it's just my first and last name. Uh, I have, um, I had Twitter. I really don't use Twitter as often. Most of the time, if you find me on any uh, handle, it'd most likely be Instagram. It's where I do most of my social media, but I do follow on uh, Facebook as well. Um, okay. And of course, you know, I have, I have email as well. So if somebody wanted to email me and reach out and just uh, kind of have a conversation or had any questions, they could just reach me at my first name, got my last name at live.com. And um, I would, I would love to answer any questions that way as well. Okay. Find Stacked Keys Podcast on Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes, or anywhere you get your favorite podcast listen. You'll laugh out loud, you'll cry a little, you'll find yourself encouraged. Join us for casual conversation that leads itself based on where we take it from family to philosophy to work to meal prep to beautifully surviving life. And hey, if I could ask a big favor of you, go to iTunes and give us a five rating. The more people who rate us, the more we get this podcast out there. Thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah.